Alright, welcome to Open Sources Guelph on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, my QR code scan has been scanned, and uh, <laughs> we're ready to go, right? Uh, yeah, that's how that's that how works. That was at the beginning, that boop, that's you. That's, yeah, that's how Good technology works. Yeah, yeah. No passport required, just a QR code that says you can do uh, a recording now. Yep, yep. We are we we do now truly live in the world of uh, give me tyranny or give me death. So uh, kudos to everyone. We made it. Actually, I'm, I'm <laughs> not that's sure. our show for today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's how that saying goes. Sources <laughs> uh, ever. It's a record breaker. <laughs> Open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday. At 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the Animal Protection Party candidate, Karen Levinson. And she will join us to talk about why animal welfare should be a bigger election issue and why the mainstream parties are not environmental enough for her. So that's going to be very interesting. Uh, that is going to be at the bottom of the hour, though. Before that, we're going to talk about the Ontario government's vaccine certification plan, which they almost definitely didn't make up in the last two days. And first, though, we're going to head out on the campaign trail. The election is actually more than half over now. Um, we can, you'll miss it. But um, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, Aaron O'Toole is more of a threat than people thought to... Uh, a third Trudeau mandate. Uh, Justin Trudeau himself is sweating. Uh, you can tell that during the the platform unveiled today. Uh, apparently, there are numerous references. I haven't had a chance to read the whole platform yet, but apparently, in it, there are numerous references to O'Toole personally, and uh, it really seems like uh, JT is playing some hardball with some of these like distasteful American culture war stuffs and, and trying to attack. Uh, Aaron O'Toole to them, even as O'Toole plays it very moderate, and it's I, I would say his message discipline so far this election has been very impressive, with how moderate he's been been able to sort of uh, hold the course, as it were. Oh, and it's definitely been working, especially with something like. Did you see the <clears throat> the puppy mill announcement? Mm-hmm. I saw that, and I was like, he's just gonna he's gonna start trending like right now, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever. Some parties, maybe like Animal Protection or something, might have an announcement <laughs> like that, or maybe even the Greens. But I don't think I've ever heard of that coming from from the Conservatives. Mm-hmm. Not even like not even livestock. You know, it's just like we're gonna ban puppy mills. So yeah, he's not only playing it safe. There, there's definite there's some definite strategy going on there with what they're talking about, but also having that remote studio set up, I guess, gives them the ability. Uh, to, to pull back and not experience some of the stuff. I mean, O'Toole is out there, but he's not out there. Trudeau and to some degree Singh are doing it the classic way where they want to get out there and, and, and mingle. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, it's not working in a lot of places as we've seen. I mean, there are mm-hmm. always, there are always, always, always protesters during election campaign has been since the beginning of elections. Right. Mm-hmm. But this time, as we know, it's been, it's just, the tone is so different this time uh with i I don't even really want to mention some of the stuff but it's just it's it's almost can't escape it 
Trudeau in particular being dogged by protesters. And I did see one with uh, Singh doing a, a really, I think it may have been one of his first announcements in downtown Toronto. It was dude with the megaphone. If, if any of the parties were smart, they would put like a thousand dollar tax on megaphones and amplification <laughs> devices that could be portable uh, because it's the, it's megaphones and, and smartphones are driving a lot of this. I think like everybody feels this need regardless of what, yeah, I think we were. Ta- I can't remember what I was talking about this. How the the decorum of protesters, which did exist to some, there's like unwritten rules, have mm-hmm. just been chucked out the window by the this the current uh, the current gang. I mean, there there are sort of legitimate stuff too, and I I I, I, f- I always fear like chucking protesters into the same pile because I mean there there were some protests against Trudeau and when he was in BC in like week one. Whereas, like people like like who had like legitimate beefs about like water on First Nations, sure. um, you know, resource extraction, like this kind of thing, like stuff Trudeau's promised to act on and hasn't. I think that's. I, I mean, it's it's all fair game to an extent, but you know, when he comes down to Ontario and like. There, I, like there have been some rough protests here in Guelph. Oh, yeah. Like nobody's had to cancel a thing because like protests have gotten so rough, and you know even back in the and Ray Mitchell kind of mentioned this on Facebook. Like there was that ribbon cutting on the Hanley Creek Business Park like ten years ago where they're like trying to knock over a bus that had like city councilors in it. Like protests. oh yeah yeah yeah. And, and it's just like that was rough, but it's still like the announcement still went down. Um, to cancel a thing, and I've been inside like prime ministerial like events, and like there's security, and you feel it, but oh, it isn't definitely. like it yep. isn't like omnipresent. It's not like Big Brother style. Like, I mean, earpieces you know, show up, right? And then if something yeah, you, goes down, then that's when it goes down, right? Yeah, yeah. you see the dark the, the dark suits and the earpieces for sure, but like. Covering those events, it's like you show. You have to. You can't just kind of roll in last minute. You have to show up like an hour earlier because they gotta like have the bomb sniffing dog sniff your bag and other things. But <laughs> it's it, so I'm I, I'm what the, the the impression I'm trying to paint is like it's not like Big Brother. It's not like um, V for Vendetta style like security, but it is noticeable. So if these guys are saying like nah. This is like a security problem here in Bolton on a Friday night. You know that it was like seriously bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to say that the I, I can't rem- really remember too much from the Bolton footage that stood out, at least not so much as like the footage from Cambridge. And maybe that's because Cambridge is closer to home. But like the sight of like people actually being carried out of the way mm-hmm. is... I mean, that sticks out more with me. And that that event went forward. So I can't imagine what was going on in Bolton that made the RCMP go, no, we're out. Peace out. Sorry. This event isn't happening. Yeah. And they might have gotten a a tip as well. But yeah, if somebody, I think a lot of times they probably go with their gut and it's like, "Mm." plus also following all the social media that every one of these things is putting out. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, and that's, that will probably continue for the remainder uh, unless they, unless well, the liberals in particular change it up a bit more and and do more distant events, let's say, where there's some space. You know, the the ones in people's backyards and that, I guess, are different. I mean, for all parties, not just 
the liberals, but and there's there's a bit of that happening too. Uh, shall we? So we touch on the scandals, in particular the local one that mm-hmm. uh, Kitchener Center, Raj Sayani is. Has yes, he, he, you've spoken to him, haven't you? Has he been on the show or no? No, you're th- you're thinking about uh, Marwan Tabara. He was, and on that's the show. right. And both of them appeared. There was a, a <laughs> shot on the news that they were both in. I was like, oh yeah, him as well. Uh, so yeah. that <laughs> on the liberal side of things, that's not looking good. And considering that these are historic allegations that were supposedly known by the party, and which which prompted Jody Wilson Raybould, there's a name, uh, mm-hmm. to chime in. And her exact words were, "Anyone who uh, refuses to address this." and does not is uh, not fit to lead. Ooh, yikes. Mm. So, and that's from the liberal side. And of course there was the, uh, Troy Myers, that right? Dartmouth Cole Harbor is just out of the race. He denies the ally, the me too allegations that were, uh, put against him about an incident that happened a couple of years ago, but, uh, he is nonetheless out. So that seat is, I'm not sure what's going to happen there because there's just no conservative candidate. So that's one down. Yeah, it's. I'm actually surprised there hasn't been like sort of more of these. I mean, not not necessarily specific style no. instances, yeah. but like, where's the Comes guy? Peeing in a, like, where's the guy peeing in a cup? Like, where, oh, where are those guys? <laughs> my absolute favorite. I know it shouldn't be, but it's like, yeah. Well, there's but, still time. There's still time, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the difference is, and I, you know, you don't kind of want this to be the difference, <clears throat> but um. The allegations against Meyer also had like um, a woman posting like a fairly harrowing um, explanation of uh, of her story on Twitter, like in a multi part thread um, that just like was like really ugly and gross. And I, I'm not sure what the nature is, or, or I guess what the exact nature of the allegation against uh, Raj Zayani, but um, it was also. What's to do with staffers, right? It was to do with staffers, but I mean, it also like his staff got together and like posted like a counter uh, a counter statement of support. And I'm not saying like, well, there's the difference, you know, case closed. But you know, I this is one of those situations where you have like two things that are kind of like exactly the same, and you're wondering yourself what makes the difference. I would say that this doesn't look great for Trudeau, who's you know still trying to dig his way out of what happened with. Um, Jody Wilson-Raybould and, and Jane Philpott. Um, and then it's like, unfortunately, it's compounded by all the other things. It's compounded by um, climate change. It's compounded by the indigenous file. It's compounded by we. It's compounded by um, you know him coming out today and saying, oh, don't worry, guys. First hundred days, we're totally going to come back around to that law banning conversion therapy. And it's like, dude, if you hadn't called election, it'd be freaking law by now. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it just... Uh, you know, he's been trying to shake the ugly stench of hubris um, since, you know, a couple of Sundays ago when he called this thing. And it hasn't helped, like, international affairs either. Uh, the Afghanistan situation where apparently there's, like, 1,200 Canadians or people with Canadian immigration papers who are left behind. Um, you know, COVID resurging. Uh, you know, just the uh, Elections Canada, you know, sending out voter cards sort of like finally uh, because they're apparently there's some trouble like trying to secure places for polling stations. And it's just like, you know, the, the kind of recent scandals compounded with all the 
I hate to say ancient scandals. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it's not, this isn't how he wanted to run and um he's got to be wondering at this point if calling the election like this was a good idea and um especially since especially since you know depending on the bozo eruption from the conservative benches just hasn't happened yet and arrow tool's been exceptionally disciplined that he hasn't fallen into any of the usual traps yet i mean it's that remains to be seen there's still like three weeks left but um i mean this this is not the campaign people thought it was going to be yeah, the, the 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 handling in that department has been better, probably with I don't know about all of the other parties, but um, yeah. So it's, I think it, it it seems like the liberals started to tank around the time of well, around the time I make it sound like ancient history, but it was really only last week the Afghanistan yeah. situation. <laughs> it feels like a long time ago, and that's how things normally feel in a campaign, right? It's like there's a there's a a scandal pops up or something pops up and it's in the news for a day or two and then it's gone. But Afghanistan, which is ongoing, it's not gone, but that was at least a week of dominating the headlines before ending election, right? So mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. – August is normally quiet generally, mm-hmm. right? It's quiet mm-hmm. and then they could just talk election, election. That's not what's happening this time. It's It's been completely turned on its head. And that's showing in the polls. I know, And I know we say polls, schmoles, and we – whatever – but uh, yeah, the three three eight is saying twenty two percent possibility of majority for the liberals, and that's down from I think they were initially saying fifty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And any 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 polls, if you do your own synthesizing of them, which I know we both do this divining thing a little bit, has liberals <laughs> and conservatives neck and neck, and like it's margin of error between who is going to get the most votes, and that will present itself either in a minority or some kind of collaborative effort, and. Uh, you know, votes are being going every which way now. The liberal drain is likely going to NDP. Some will be going to the conservatives. Uh, the green collapse seems to be happening. I don't know if you saw yeah. anything about that report in the middle of everything. I didn't get a chance to read about it yet, but the the gist of it is that racism and transphobia are supposedly big problems in the Green Party, and this is coming from an internal report. Mm-hmm. So none of that helps, even if it's just like myself, just seeing that headline as we are cramming for the, to do the show, I was like, "Oh, that doesn't look good." Um, and enemy so Paul green fortunes and all of those votes need to go somewhere, right? And enemy Paul being in um, Toronto, kind of exclusively campaigning in, in Toronto Center, isn't helping either. It's just she's almost invisible in this campaign, no, which is, there was a which, bit of a one on one. Yeah, I think it was I, Global does similar to what we do, but not as extensive. Uh, <laughs> you know, three minutes with each of the leaders. Maybe not Bernier, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, because there's lots of places you can't go because he isn't vaccinated. Maybe Ontario isn't one of them. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I mean, this is the, this is how it is for him, right? He, he can't go certain places. And anyway, Paul, my choice is not going places. And of course, the Bloc don't campaign outside of Quebec. And they're... And, 30% territory mm-hmm. in Quebec because they don't run anywhere else. Because was that poll being reposted about the NDP on the rise and had the block at zero. I was like, this must just be one riding. Yeah. Because the block aren't at zero. They're at whatever percentage they get, which is, you know, the highest of the lower um, parties, but they still get a ton of seats because they only run in one place. So, Good strategy. Um, also, maybe a good strategy for 
the Ontario government to finally roll out a vaccine certification program, which Doug Ford did on Wednesday. Um, he seemed to, for some strange reason, blame it all on the federal government for not imposing a na- nationwide vaccine certification program, even though Doug Ford was out saying, oh, no, we can't do it. It created a two-tier society. So um, interesting pivot for somebody who has been largely silent during the election campaign, perhaps because of uh, agreements made in back rooms, but um, probably alleged. Alleged. I did say probably. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, it forced. Don't want the lawyers calling there, Adam. Come on. Well, it's, no, I, <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a photo finish between the telemarketers and the lawyers about who you want mm-hmm. to phone you less. But uh, interesting pivot today in Queens Park, and already people are saying it's not enough. Well, and he did take that shot at Trudeau, right? Saying, you know, why you know the the feds didn't do this, so we have to do it. But it's. After I can't remember what point, but I distinctly remember him telling the feds to keep their beak out of it, right? Like, yep. don't yep. don't get involved with this. I can't remember the exact quote, but if you dig a bit, you will find it where he's like, "Oh no, they shouldn't be involved in this," and now he's blaming them, right? It's like, well, it's, you know, they, well, they won't do it in the middle of an election. So, I mean, who's to say? Well, we don't know who the government is going to be at this point, but yeah, you know, will it be minutes after the federal election's over? They're going to come up with this national password? I don't know. That doesn't matter. So anyway, this has finally limped out of the gate after being sent back a few days ago. I think it was on Monday. We're like, no, no, it's not enough. And it sounds like to me, speaking of back rooms, that (laughs) there was probably some dislike of some of the things that may have been mandatory, which are now um, not, such as particularly retail. I bet you there was something more stringent for stores like the mall. Yeah. And then they said, no, 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 we need we need more exemptions. So the exemptions are hair salons and barbers, grocery, which is super essential, the bank. But, I mean, all the banks are encouraging people to do things remotely anyway. Who is going to the bank? Uh, places There's of worship, the- <laughs> which I think. Are you think- quoting that commercial? What's that? Are you quoting that commercial where that says, like, who's going to banks these days? There's a commercial. Oh, no, really? I, no, that's that was inadvertent. I had no idea. Weird. Okay. I don't see commercials anymore. Ah. (laughs) I don't (laughs) in the silo here. Uh, Oh, and places of worship, I think, was significant, too, because that covers a lot of turf in terms of those that aren't too happy about uh, lockdowns, passports, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. You name it. Right. So there's the exemptions sort of speak to a certain subset, I think. But then, of Mm -hmm. course, the ones that are non-essential that are going to be subject to this gyms restaurants theaters concerts casinos bingo yeah and the convention center so maybe comic-con will happen adam you never know right maybe fan expo fan expo sorry (laughs) i mixed up my thingies sorry (laughs) (laughs) well uh you know, Fan Expo is, uh, to my knowledge, still on. It, it, oh, I'm, when's I'm that? Getting, uh, it's in October. They're having like a smaller one in October as opposed to the bigger one they have Labor Day weekend. That's um, required, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely at that oh, Sorry, enhanced vaccine certificates required. I misspoke. <laughs> I mean, it's people will know what you're talking about. It's, uh, yeah, the, the thing that girds me is that 
it, this has been called upon by everyone from the Ontario Chamber of Commerce to the opposition parties to the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses to like various municipalities and like even Peel Region, like Mississauga City Council was like on its way to like endorsing its own vaccine passport system. So anything like Doug Ford says, like, well, the federal government could have done something, you know, to make it instead of a bunch of patchworks, like, dude, you were forcing every public health unit in the province to do the exact thing you're now groaning about and i wish um i i did watch the full thing including the q a from the press and it was uh the q a was uh, as it was was very excellent but i wish if there's one question i wish someone would ask it's like why is it okay like why until very recently was it okay for like the 34 public health units to start to create their own patchwork of like rules and recommendations. But now it's not okay to do it like province wide. And by the way, there are three reasons why the federal government, and this is the thing that kind of irks me about Justin Trudeau, where if he gets a little, a little bit of friction, he won't do something, but there are three reasons why there's no nationwide vaccine certificate program. And they are Ford, Mo and Kenny. Because no matter what the federal government comes up with, especially on something like where there is a loud, even if it's a minority constituency, it's a very loud constituency of people who don't like this, um, no matter how much science you throw at them, um, you know, they are very much against this. And, you know... (sighs) If if you're not gonna have Alberta institute it, you're not gonna have Ontario institute it. What's you know what's the point of like starting the fight? And as like I wish Justin Trudeau would start the fight sometimes just to have the fight. Um, I realize that's not how his brain works. Um, it's how my brain works, but it's not how yeah. his brain works. But I understand why it, it didn't happen. And for Doug Ford to come out and act so indignant, like I can't believe he. I can't believe after me saying I don't want to do this, he didn't do it instead. And I saw somebody on Twitter make the point. It's like he wanted the federal government to come down on him like a ton of bricks and do this himself, be top heavy so that he can go, oh, look what they're making me do, which right. would let him, which would let him do this thing. He knows is right, but he doesn't want to honk off a, a significant number of people who might vote for him. He wants to do the right thing, but he doesn't want the credit or the responsibility for it. And I think that is pretty spot on with what's happening right now with this vaccine certification thing. Yeah. Cause with Ford's Liza, it's no secret. This is something I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's just him. I mean, and, and the tipping point was probably the chamber of commerce, right? Who have a lot yeah. of influence, a lot of businesses within their scope, the CFIB, not so much. They are more uh, backroom. There was somebody on talking about, well, our people are split down the middle on this. It's like, do you want things to function? And Ford made the point of saying that it's it's only temporary, and that's fine. I think people appreciate that it's only going to be temporary, but that's probably to sort of spell it out for the people who think this is some uh, slippery slope towards the Great Reset kind of thing, right? It's like, let's do this for a while, and when this is behind us, we won't do it anymore, right? Well, well not necessarily. And most people will agree with that. I, if you do a poll, it will be the majority will say, yes, let's do this. They've already roll, they're already rolling out in Quebec, mm-hmm. and there's been a few hiccups, but generally it's like, you got to do this thing so you can do the things that you were used to doing. And then, of course, there, there's a big movement in Quebec that are yelling, no, we don't want this. It's like, okay, go ahead and yell. Well, the, the thing is, uh, yesterday during his press conference, our, 
RMPP, Mike Schreiner, said that he would include a sunset clause uh, if he were designing a certification program. So I, I don't think it's like uh, that's a, a direct appeal to the hesitant. I think that's just sort of common sense that because um, the, the way this is handled or the way that we kind of need to handle it is, is this we, we don't know the longevity of well, the it. vaccines yet, too. So it makes sense to sort of have some verification on you. It's not like measles or mumps or smallpox or anything like that, where you get one shot and you're good for good for life. But yeah. um, I, I think that's sort of the difference is it's like we don't know if there's like like this might very well be a thing where, you know, you have to go get your COVID booster shot every two years or something. But we don't know. And I think that it, it just makes good sense to say that, you know, hopefully we get to a place in time where you don't have to carry around a thing on your phone that says um, you're vaccinated against COVID because COVID's not a thing that happens anymore. And if it gives people like, I mean, I don't like the whole spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down ideal of this, but I mean, if it helps people, you know, okay, Mary Poppins, if it's like, you know what, if it makes you feel any better, this isn't forever, just until we get over this fourth wave hump and it'll be over. Then you can erase the app from your phone and you never have to think about it. I mean, if that's what it takes to get people to go along with it, I, I, I will allow it. In the most delightful ways. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's where we're going to leave things as we go to break. Uh, we're going to take that musical break that we always take and then come right back with our interview with Karen Levinson. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell, the downtown, the little big record shop. And that was from the CFRU charts, The Hallucination, formerly a tribe called Red. The new album is called One More Saturday Night, and that song was called It's Over, a <laughs> collaboration with the Chippewa Travelers. Mm-hmm. Fresh beats on there, and I think I think almost every song is a collaboration, so Mm-hmm. Dig a bit more into that as time rolls on. We'll see. More into collaborating with other indigenous artists. Yeah, and considering the times, it, it was probably interesting putting this together, right? Uh, I, I, the tech behind all of that. How do you make an album in a lockdown with people who live nowhere near you? Well, we could say the same about recording election interviews, and maybe we will. So, <laughs> we're, well done. we do have an interview this week it is with karen levinson who is running for the animal protection party uh karen levinson if her name sounds familiar she ran in 2008 and 2011 here in guelph uh for a a party it it was the animal protection party uh used to go by a 
very different, very long name uh, that Karen will mention because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But uh, Ah. she is a woman who is very concerned about animal rights issues, and that's why she's running for the Animal Protection Party. So we talk about all that, why the main federal parties are not strong enough on the environment, and uh, yeah, just some general chit-chat. We even talk about her new book in in the interview. She has a book out. So uh, let's, let's hear all about that starting right now. So Karen Levinson, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. Uh, you ran in 2008, and then you ran in 2011. Yes. Uh, it's now 2021. So uh, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was working in Washington, D.C. for an animal protection group there called Alley Cat Allies, which is uh, legislation focused on ending the culling and killing of feral cats and helping Mm. um, people handle overpopulation of cats. So, but I also wrote a book and I'm thrilled about that and it just came out. So um, that is Confessions of an Animal Rights Terrorist and a little (laughs) (laughs) tongue-in-cheek play on what maybe some people think of as animal activists, but we're very different from that. And uh, everybody has to be an activist today. We're in such a dire straits with our planet, the way we are, the heat waves, the flooding, the drought. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to get to that sort of right off the bat. Um, you know, being environmentally active, um, that's kind of like a, something all the political parties are trying to get at to extent, even the conservative party this time. Um, why for you, from your point of view, why aren't the four main parties like doing enough on the environment that it, it, it will take like sort of a fifth party like yours to sort of get real action? Well, it's become like a trendy topic. It's like swag bad for political parties to talk about environment. Now we, I've been talking about it ever since, you know, I got into animal activism and environmentalism back in the early 2000s because there was all the evidence that it was there, that it was coming, and it was easier to ignore. And I think because so much of animal um, animal agriculture is involved in climate change, it's a very tricky topic topic for other politicians to talk about and nobody else mentions that in the platforms but animal agriculture according to it's the world watch institute who says that 51 percent of greenhouse gas emissions are from animal agriculture and that includes um, it's not just methane from cows it includes all the land that is deforested and can't absorb carbon anymore. So we're really focused now on animal agriculture as a main culprit. And I hope the other parties address this issue because you can't solve climate change without tackling this issue of animal agriculture and meat consumption. I'm glad you broached that because it's something I noticed last week. Um, There was a sort of a climate strike downtown and a couple of the speakers like you know went after that topic directly um 
my question is, mm-hmm. we still have a hard enough time getting getting enough people to sort of like deal with emissions. Yes. Now we're going after people's hamburgers. <laughs> so, you know, how, how do we, yeah. you know, how, I, I guess, how do we sort of mainstream that portion of the climate fight as well? Because we're yeah. having a difficult enough time trying to get people to drive less and move yeah. to solar and get, get off gas and, and this yeah. sort of thing. It's, but, you know, now we're going after people's Big Macs. I know. Um, and I'd like to reframe it in a way because I look at it as, an opportunity, not as going after and taking away, but creating an opportunity for the future generations, our children and grandchildren to live in a world that's habitable. You know, so much of the, uh, if we're experiencing, you know, 39, 40 degree temperatures, Australia and New Zealand are experiencing in their summer season, 50 degrees, Dubai, you know, the Middle East, uh, Africa, and all those people aren't going to be able to live in their countries anymore because it's just going to be inhabitable. So they're going to be coming to our countries and there's going to be such, um, such loss of the environmental um, support systems that in, allow us to live, the ocean, for instance. That is our lungs. The ocean dies, we die. And two thirds of Canada's oceans are sick. We have the largest coastline in the world and two thirds of our oceans are sick. And our fish stocks, only 24% of them are healthy. That is really, really scary. Mm. And um, taking away, there is so much opportunity for the food sector to get on board and create products that taste exactly like what they love about meat consumption. And there's, I mean, new technology coming out every day. And my party wants to support that, a plant-based economy that brings a wealth of new jobs, new businesses, new growth. And so they're not gonna take away because if you want the taste, if you want the texture, that will be there. And I hope all the farm workers and uh, fossil fuel workers get on board and um, start their own businesses. Small businesses are gonna drive this economy. And if they can create um, environmentally um, restorative processes and, and products, this is a whole area of economy that hasn't even been explored yet, especially in the food um, area where new products are coming up every day. And I mean, even some of the agricultural big, you know, meat companies are now switching to plant-based protein. It's interesting to hear you phrase it that way, because so much of what when we debate climate change and, and pivoting to green economy and clean tech is like, what do we lose? And when we're talking about from the agricultural standpoint, it's like, well, we don't, maybe we don't lose that much. Cause you know, what can, you know, cattle ranchers and other farmers do while well, they can pivot to like regular farming, like <laughs> crops and things. Yeah. And, and then there's this whole other thing about the, as you're saying, the plant-based meat, you can't, 
watch a fast food ad without them pushing their latest plant-based meat product. Like there's the, the plant-based Whopper and, and things <laughs> like that. It, it's, there's kind of like a, a plant-based meat space race going on yeah. uh, with the fast food businesses. And cheese and fish and chicken and all of the animal food products that we grew up eating are now being replicated and there's new technology out that's going to um, work on cell culture. So you don't even need animals um, in that. You will be making cultured meat. And so there's so much opportunity here. And I mean, when we look at what we are losing right now, the um, as I mentioned, 51% of greenhouse gas emissions, that's the upper limit of right. contributing from animal agriculture. Um, but deforestation, 18 million um, acres of forest every year are destroyed. And a lot of that goes to animal agriculture from the Amazon to um, Canada to other countries. Um, there was a study done in um, 1997 from a Cornell professor who said, the US could feed 800 million people the amount of crops they grow one year from animal agriculture. So we are growing crops that no nobody is going to eat except the cow. Right. And so all that water, all that food that is going into producing one cow could feed, we could end malnutrition. We could end, you know, food insecurity and poverty. And when we talk about, you know, there's homelessness, there's, rising um, cost of homes. Well, all this agricultural land that is inhabitable for people could be used uh, to develop eco-friendly housing that could be um, sustaining our, our people, our populations, and creating a better world as well. Let's rewind a bit. Um you're running under the flag of the animal protection party. So talk, can you talk a bit about what the party is and, and what it's sort of main plank is what it, you know, what the, the platform of the party is. Yes. Okay. So the animal protection party is the animal environment, environment voters party of Canada. So that was the name early on when I ran in 2008 and 2011. It was a mouthful and I love <laughs> that the party changed its name. It's consinct. It tells everything. And the thing is, we're not just about non-human animals. We're all animals. We tend to forget that. And I'm always reminding people when they talk about animals, well, we're animals. Oh, I didn't, I, I didn't think of that. And so if we're going to save human animals, we have to save habitat and non-human animals. We're in it together. And violence against animals creates a violent society. So when we are allowing the torture and cruelty that occurs behind barn doors, when we allow um, forestry to decimate our forests, when overfishing, uh, fishermen are killing marine mammals, because they feel that they compete with uh, their fishing. Um, we are creating a violent society and that allows death. Okay, you can kill this animal because it, I enjoy that, I enjoy. And we tend to be removed from 
the violence that exists because we don't always see it. We often don't see it. And that gives people permission to be violent to humans as well. Mm. Animal welfare doesn't typically make it to the like the daily message box of of the major political parties. But on Monday, Aaron O'Toole's like policy of the day was all about animal welfare. Did you did you see that? And what did you think of that? Well, (laughs) I have to take a breath and um, thank him. Thank him very much. I am in support 100 percent of any um, political party that takes on animal cruelty, animal abuse, and wants better living conditions, but we can't have animal welfare if we have animal agriculture or fishing or, um, you know, zoos or um, biomedical research on animals. There's no animal welfare there. And Mm. we can, it's like a euphemism. It's like, you know, oh, sustainable. That It has no meaning anymore. And if you can say, oh, I'm humanely killing seals by uh, shooting them in the water and allowing them to drown or there's no, it's just not even in our lexicon anymore to actually describe what goes on in the animal, for animals. And so I hope Erin O'Toole goes past animal welfare because that maintains all the cruel systems that kill animals and us and our planet. Um, The Canada Food Guide has come out and said, we have to eat less meat and dairy and more plant-based. That is the healthiest diet. And we can get rid of a lot of the illnesses like heart disease and stroke and some cancers and obesity by turning to a plant-based, a healthy plant-based diet. I'm not talking about eating junk and all that. I'm talking about healthy. And if we grow our own foods too, take our little garden plot and grow our own fruits and vegetables as much as we can here. We can, we can make this amazing change and it's going to be a change for our children and our grandchildren. When we're not here, what is going to happen to them? It's dire. And I'm scared about that. And that's why I wanted to run for the Animal Protection Party. And I think that's what the Animal Protection Party is all about, protecting all of them. Where does your, you know, your, your zeal to protect animals come from? You know, where, when, I guess, when did you awake as an activist? And, and you know, where did, I, I guess, what's your kind of origin story there? Well, I think every animal activist is different. And I grew up in a home where there was a lot of violence. Um, And if you didn't toe the line, and especially I was the firstborn, so I was kind of breaking ground in our family. And so I, and also we had a dog, Inky, which is my, um, my love. And (laughs) In the training process of getting Inky to not pee on the floor, my dad would go around and bring a newspaper and smash him and Inky would be scattering and scared and terrified. And so I'd grab him and run up to the bathroom and close the door and lock it. And we'd be sitting there, you know, like. <laughs> so in, in some way, I saw that his fear and my fear 
were the same. Like his, his well-being was being violated. My well-being also was being violated. There didn't seem to be a real distinction. And I've never really agreed with that humans are more important or more exceptional. I think we don't know enough about animals and each species. We're learning so much more that shows they are so much more intelligent, complex. They have their own cultures, their own, um, you know, social groups that we have know nothing about. And so I just felt like this, you know, there's so much more that we are alike than different. Mm. And so if I'm going to fight for myself, I have to fight for them. And it's the same. Violence is violence. I think, uh, and I know Bill Maher is not uh, the most popular guy in certain circles anymore, but I mean, he, he did say something that sort of, I, I think resonates, resonated with me and resonated with you. And that in a hundred years, people will look back at, the way animals have been treated by people and that will be seen as sort of not exactly akin to, you know, anti-black racism or anti-indigenous racism or transphobia or these things, but it's, it's one of these behaviors we will look back on our past selves and go, wow, we did that to animals. (laughs) Yes. Animal um, cruelty is a social justice issue. It is on par. In fact, um, animal, trying to end animal cruelty, um, some of our forefathers and foremothers created animal protection organizations and then took on child welfare and then women's rights and then racial equality. All of that came from looking at animals as sentient beings and seeing the suffering of the voiceless mm-hmm. and increasing the voice uh, people is based on on that. So um, I think Bill Maher is actually <laughs> very right. I think we're going to look back horrified, or I'm not going to look back. Right. And you aren't. We won't be here. But um, our grandchildren certainly will say, "What were you thinking? What are you doing? That's I can't even comprehend how you could do that." Mm-hmm. And I. I hope people keep that in mind because the the eye, the microscope that we will be seen as a society will be how we treat our animals and our people. And it's pretty horrifying. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to read an excerpt from your book that was in now Toronto and once again, the, the confessions, the, the title was Confessions of an Animal Rights Terrorist, yeah. which is kind of purposely provocative. But yeah. I mean, in this excerpt, you're talking about how you were approached by like CSIS agents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would not have thought that animal welfare activism was on CSIS's radar. But I mean, can you talk a little bit about that experience about like, I guess, being kind of targeted by the state apparatus for caring about animals. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. It absolutely is. And, um, and very humorous. I mean, and, and my mouth was open, my eyes were wide, and I was sitting there, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe I, 
I pick up little snails on the path <laughs> of the dog walk and move them so um, they don't get stepped on. And the animal activists that I know are the kindest, most concerned and caring people. They're the ones who try to make the world a better place. So to, to focus on, um, you know, animal activists as terrorists, that's, it's ridiculous. But what I think they were thinking is that when you want to change an economy, you do, um, you're advocating for, a, you know, for people to stop eating meat, for people to uh, stop uh, wearing fur, for people to stop eating fish, and to hold people who abuse animals accountable. That is very scary. And industries don't want that to occur. Um, there's tremendous lobbying power with the animal agriculture, the fishing industry, the um, you know forestry industries. And so they might perceive an animal activist who wants to protect animals and the environment as threatening. And I think it was an intimidation tactic. Mm. Um, it didn't work. <laughs> and it actually made me more passionate oh my goodness, there's something here. There's something, you know, they don't want me to say or find out. And so it just spurred me more to want to look at um, how animal activism can help and bring compassion and humanity to the world. I hope that's not a terrifying, if that's <laughs> terrifying, we are really... Oh my goodness. <laughs> in, in case people haven't read the excerpt or read the book, I mean, to set the scene, you're like in a Tim, Ho should I say the business's name? You're in a local coffee shop that's part of a nationwide chain. Let's put it that yes. way. Yes. And you were, you, you were there to meet someone who, who you did not think was a CSIS agent. And then it, uh, the person arrived and they were a CSIS agent. And it, this seems like uh, like something out of the Americans. It seems like something out of like any number of spy novels. It's it's like born identity stuff. It, oh, it, it is. <laughs> it, it truly is. It was so amazing. And it, at first I felt a little bit honored. I mean, I was <laughs> actually <laughs> relatively new. I mean, some of my colleagues had been working to end the seal hunt and, and factory farming for decades. And so I thought, wow, I've made it into the big league. <laughs> but um, it also speaks to um, how evolution of social justice occurs. I remember um, seeing, um, was it William Wilberforce, who was the man who worked in Great Britain to um, end slavery there? I believe that's and right, yeah. And for his entire life, he worked. And it was only until his last frail years that he saw his goal accomplished. And I think that speaks to how rigid and um, how we hold on so much to our old ways of being and are so frightened of change. And we have to look at um, change as terrifying instead of bringing so much more, bringing health and well-being and happiness and compassion and empathy. 
we all want that. We all want to be loved and to be respected. If we can't extend that to others, how can we accept, expect that to be in our world? I don't know. If I'm in a coffee shop in the middle of the night and somebody flashes a badge at me from CSIS, I'm, I'm going to like start screaming Attica and, and not take it as a compliment. But <laughs> that's just me. Um, looking back at look, looking at the back at the political picture here um there's a handful of animal protection party candidates running coast to coast so i mean it's not a major political force forgive yes. me for for making that yet absolutely <laughs> but i mean what do you hope to what, what are you and your your sort of fellow candidates hoping to get out of the campaign like is it is it aware like awareness like starting debates you know what's kind of your your goal here Yes. Well, first of all, um, when the NDP started, they were, you know, one, two candidates. When the Green Party started, they were the same. Mm -hmm. So we are in our infancy. Absolutely. But we are talking about issues that other candidates aren't talking about. I wish they would talk about them. Please talk about them. Make our party irrelevant. But right now they aren't talking about it and so i think education yes and also that the power of one the power of the individual to make a difference in the world is immense mm -hmm. i mean if each of us changed our diet even a little bit at the beginning we would end so much of the uh methane and the emissions that are plaguing our planet if each one of us did one thing and you know that can be so small it doesn't have to be a grand gesture or a huge you know start a protest or or you know chain yourself to a, a barn no you don't need to do that you can actually make a huge difference for your future and your children's future simply by not eating meat at this particular meal not eating dairy, not eating fish or any animal products. Mm -hmm. Well, Karen, if people want to learn more about the APP or learn more about you or want to reach out to you, how can they, they find you on the internet? Well, they can definitely go to the Animal Protection Party website at animalprotectionparty.ca. And we have our platform there. We have... Um, more than just a platform, we set up our platform with um, a lot of background information about what the state of the world is today and why we have this platform position. So why do we have um, a platform position on health? Because our health is being, you know, our lives are being threatened right now by the way we humans are treating the um environment and animals. So I hope people go there and I hope they read through it because then they can get context. We're not just, you know, uh, pulling something out of the sky and saying, oh, this will be interesting or, you know, this is based in science. And I hope everybody bases their decisions on science and following the money. I'm not making any money. I mean, my party, nobody I know is, is wealthy. Um, we're all financially struggling because we're choosing to focus on a message 
uh, change and empowerment. And, and basically it's love. I, I want everybody to feel loved and impassioned to make a difference in this world. Follow the science, follow the money. Uh, <laughs> that's basically my life philosophy. So Karen Levinson, thank you so much for all your time today. <laughs> thank you so much, Adam. It was such a pleasure. And once again, that was Karen Levinson of the Animal Protection Party. Godspeed, Karen. This is uh, Surprisingly, animal protection has become a key election issue, thanks to Aaron O'Toole, as we mentioned at the top of the show. So. Mm-hmm. Living in, we're living in a golden age of animal welfare as a political issue. It's not all bad. No, it's not all bad at all. Um, unfortunately, it is the end of the show, and that is bad. Unless you like DJ Sounds Good to Me, in which this is good. But if you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday. You can go to the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca, which includes interviews with the Wellington Halton Hills candidates, which I post in the special edition Wellington Halton Hills Politicast every Saturday, so check that out. Scotty, where can people check you out? Uh, Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, in addition to listening to this fine station, check out CFRU.ca for the charts that we use, the shows that are on, and all that fantastic stuff. And I'm going to check out your uh, other interviews probably when we sign off. <laughs> There's only it's one the internet part. grand. Don't the you next, love it? Next edition uh. comes out on Saturday, so we'll we'll see. Fortunately, there's only five candidates in Wellington Halton Hills. We'll see how far we can get. Uh, but we're going to get into DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another Open Sources, and we will see you then. <laughs>